You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. Okay, now in our first segment, what we're looking at is 10 worldly myths about sex in marriage. Now, this uh, podcast assumes that the Bible teaches that sex in marriage is a voluntary choice made by each person in the marriage. It also assumes that most Christians are not having too much sex in their marriage. I, I doubt that's a huge problem with many Christian marriages today. The most important thing about sex in marriage is that you have sex with your spouse in your marriage. I see 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. Now, this comes from the English Standard Version. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You know, in order to encourage sex within marriage, here are the ten worldly myths about sex in marriage that need to be rejected. Number one, being in the mood is a prerequisite for sex. No, the only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5 refers to sex within marriage as a duty, ophelin in Greek, that husbands and wives should provide for their spouses their conjugal rights. It's translated conjugal rights in uh, the ESV. The concept of being in the mood is foreign to Scripture. So husbands and wives, do your duty. Have sex with your spouses when you are in the mood and when you're not. Number two, the person with the lowest sexual appetite should control sexual frequency in marriage. No, no single spouse should control sexual frequency in marriage. Sexual frequency in marriage should be determined by both spouses. As we read earlier, there needs to be mutual agreement according to scripture concerning frequency of sex within marriage. And that's from 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. Number three, husbands should not seek to control or limit their sexual appetites. Now, that's wrong. In most cases, you know, husbands actually, they'll desire sex more than their wives, and the husband should seek to control or limit their sexual appetites for the sake of their wives. Again, remember Paul's emphasis on mutual agreement. Furthermore, husbands should seek to exercise self-control since this is a fruit of the Spirit. From Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Plus, there, there's going to be times in your marriage of sexual infrequency due to health issues, work, spiritual reasons. You know, for example, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians in Corinth to practice abstinence based on mutual agreement for the sake of prayer. Number four, the fourth myth, wives should not seek to cultivate or increase their sexual appetites. You know, in most cases, wives will desire sex less than their husbands. And in today's society, the male libido is treated as evil. It's not evil. You know, wives should seek to cultivate their sexual appetites for the sake of their husbands. Again, mutual agreement, as Paul emphasized in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Sexual frequency in marriage is more important than our sexual appetites. And so we need to pursue, if, if your sexual appetite is low, you need to cultivate it for the sake of your spouse. Number five, the fifth myth. Sexual attraction is a prerequisite for sex in marriage. You know, there may be times, I mean, that's wrong. There may be times uh, when you or your spouse are, 
are less or more attractive in your marriage. This reality should be irrelevant concerning sex in marriage. The only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. Myth number six, praise, appreciation, compliments, awe, etc. are prerequisites for sex in marriage. No, the, the only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. Granted, a nagging, unappreciative, complaining wife does not encourage a husband to give her conjugal rights. But nevertheless, husbands, you give your wife conjugal rights because she's your wife, not because she is the wife of your dreams at all points. A sinful wife is still your wife. Do your duty. Have sex with your wife. Um, myth number seven, dating, listening, intimate talks, appreciation, etc. are prerequisites for sex and marriage. No, the only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. Granted, a couch that burps, uh, who doesn't compliment, who doesn't appreciate you, does not encourage a wife to give him conjugal rights. But nevertheless, you give your husband conjugal rights because he is your husband, not because he is the husband of your dreams at all points. A sinful husband is still your husband. Do your duty. Have sex with your husband. Now, for those who are going to throw up uh, red flags and say, well, what if a wife is being abused? Listen, if a wife is being abused, I think she needs to protect the image of God in her and her children. I believe she is free in Christ to flee an abusive marriage. Um, I believe she's free in Christ to divorce an abusive husband. I believe a, an abusive husband has abandoned his wife. You know, just because he says he's a Christian, he's not acting like he's a Christian, and thus he is severing the marriage covenant by abusing his wife. Number eight, myth. Feeling secure about your body, not feeling guilty, etc. are prerequisites for sex and marriage. No, the only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. Body image issues and guilt should not keep husbands and wives from being obedient to the Lord in their marriages. Do your duty, have sex with your spouse, even when you feel insecure. Myth number nine, passion for one another is a prerequisite for sex. No, the only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. It's more important that you have sex with with one another than that you have passionate sex with your spouse. And if you're not passionate about your spouse, friend, you, you need to cultivate your passion instead of waiting for passion to happen to you. Take responsibility for your lack of passion for your spouse. Don't put the blame on them. Don't put the blame on society. Take responsibility and cultivate that passion for your spouse. And myth number 10, sex must be spontaneous, wild, not planned. No, the only prerequisite for sex in the Bible is marriage. The most important thing is that you have sex with your spouse, not that sex with your spouse is spontaneous. There you have it, friends. Now go do your duty. Serve and enjoy the spouse the Lord has given you. Alright, we've come to our second segment. Ten reasons why sex is overrated in America and evangelicalism today. Now, sex is overrated. It's terribly overrated and overemphasized in Western culture today. Sexual morality is obviously what life, it's not about that. But it's also neither about sexual morality. You know, man was created to make much of the Lord in all things. And although immature Christians may struggle with making sexual immorality an idol, mature Christians often struggle with making sexual morality an idol. So, sex is overrated because, one, people believe that it is better than God's steadfast love. Psalm 63.3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. You know, how many men and women have traded their souls for sex? Sex was their God, and it's still the God of potentially billions of people today. So people, first, they believe that sex is better than God's steadfast love. The second thing is that people believe that sex is better than the gospel. You know, the good news in this life is not sex, regardless if it's within marriage or not. 
not. In marriage, there will be sexual droughts due to illness, pregnancy, giving birth, etc. So what does a Christian man or woman do in those moments? The answer is you exercise the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. You can survive without sex, although you may not want to. You know, I had a Christian tell me one time, a Christian man tell me one time that he thought divorce was okay and adultery was very tempting if his spouse refused to have sex with him for a long period of time without an understandable excuse. Although a spouse should not refuse sex, it is not biblical grounds for divorce or adultery. Do you really want sex more than obedience to God? So in those moments, I, you know, it might be extremely difficult, but you got to exercise self-control and depend on the Lord. If the Lord is sufficient, you can survive without sex. Number three, people believe that sex is better than Christ. Whenever the wise men and Mary were visited by angels, they did not proclaim the coming of sex, but rather prophesied of Christ. He is the answer to what's wrong with the world, not sexual immorality or sexual morality. And so the answer ultimately to your sexual desires is not fulfilling them. Uh, the ultimate reality is to rest in Christ and depend on Him, get your sufficiency from Christ. You, you know, you realize that sex will not be in heaven, and yet it's still going to be heaven. So it's not an essential reality for the best possible life. Number four, some believe that sex is better than enjoying God. You know, the purpose of sex is the same as the purpose of all things, to make much of God. And thus, we can only make much of God and His glory through enjoying sex within the limits in which He has given us, and that is marriage between one man and one woman. Number five, people believe that sex is more valuable than its consequences. Whenever a Christian fails morally, sexual morality is often involved, and if men, women, and teenagers would count the cost of sexual morality before they sinned, they would flee sexual morality. You know, they would be like Joseph. They would run, even leaving their clothes behind if they have to, to get away, to flee sexual morality. You know, some believe that um, Joseph was running, you know, kind of toward the Lord, and, and he was. But also, I believe he was running from temptation. You know, he, if he had stayed, what he would have done, what he would have given into. You know, if a Christian commits sexual morality publicly, he or she may not live long enough to overcome its consequences. And so you need to consider that. Flee sexual morality. Number six, people believe that sex is more valuable than other joys in life. Think of how many fathers and mothers have thrown away their spouses and their children for the sake of sex. Family and friends are more valuable than sexual morality. Our neighbors, our closest family members, I mean, they're all more valuable than those moments of sexual morality. Being a godly spouse and parent are more valuable than sexual morality. You know, I'm reminded of many preachers that I've heard preach against sexual morality and preach against adultery, only to find out that later they fell in to that sin. Number seven, some believe that sex is more valuable than human life. Women and men are God's image bearers. Whenever we view men or women as avenues of sexual release, we strip them of God's image. You know, pornography is prevalent uh, throughout Western society and actually the world, and it's, it's also prevalent, unfortunately, in the church. But you cannot treat those people that you're looking at. If you're looking at someone in a sexual way, you strip them of what makes them an image of God, what makes them valuable to God. You're not considering the spiritual, their spiritual value, their personal value, the moral value, their relational value, their rational value, their emotional value, their creative value. You know, the sex act is meant to take place between two image bearers for the purpose of spreading forth the image of God within the confines of marriage. When lust is practiced, only one image bearer exists, and that's the one viewing. But in many cases, you also strip yourself of the image of God when you look at someone in a lustful manner because you were not made for sin. You were not made to lust. You were made for God's glory. And when you're committing the act of lust or you're lusting in your heart after someone, you are not doing what God made you to do. Not only that, but number eight, 
Um, Folks often view sex as more valuable than agreeing with God. In order to commit sexual morality, each person must directly or indirectly call God a liar. God claims to be more valuable than sin, including sexual morality. And so if if we commit these sins, what we're doing, what we're really doing is saying that we're right, or that Satan's right, or that the world is right, and that God is wrong. When the truth is, is God is always right. God is seeking to protect us. He wants what's best for us, and thus he emphasizes sexual morality. And not only that, but number nine, people treat sex as more valuable than loving our neighbors as ourselves. You know, if we truly loved our girlfriends or boyfriends, we would not have premarital sex with them, for we would want what's best for them. Premarital sex is always selfish. We should want God's best for our girlfriends or boyfriends, and sex only within marriage is best for them and best for us. And so if you're justifying that, or if you know people who are justifying living together before they're married or premarital premarital sex because they so-called love one another, listen, if you really love someone, you want what's best for their relationship with God. And premarital sex is not best for their relationship with God. And so call it sin and reject that and pursue marriage. And finally, Number 10, concerning why we know that sex is overrated in America and evangelicalism today, is because people believe that sex is capable of providing the abundant life. Christ came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Mankind will only find true fulfillment in Christ, for we were created to worship God through everything we think and do. And sin has destroyed our ability to do this. However, Christ came to restore our relationship with His Father so that in Him and through Him we may bring glory to God. We cannot bring glory to God by pursuing sexual morality or by even exalting sex within marriage as an idol. So how do you know if um, how do you know if sex within marriage has become an idol in your life? Well, if you're willing to sin to get it, it's an idol. If you're willing to sin when you don't get it, then it's become an idol in your life. And so if you want to know if sex is an idol in your life, well, it, what husband or wife, when your when your spouse is unable or refuses to have sex with you in your marriage, do you go and sin? Do you go and lust? And if so, then sex has become an idol in your life. You need to call it what it is, repent of it, exercise self-control, enjoy the Lord. I promise you, Jesus Christ is sufficient. You just have to take responsibility for your sin and constantly repent from it. So, so if you struggle with any of these things that have been mentioned, then you struggle with sexual idolatry. And, and to help you in your battle, first you've got to continually run to Christ. You've got to trust in His death, His burial, His resurrection to justify you, declare you righteous before His Father. Number two, uh, memorize Scripture that deals with God's plan for sex. So find Scripture that deals with God's plan for sex. You know, 1 Corinthians is a great book for that. Uh, memorize it. And number three, memorize Scripture that deals with the abundant life being in Christ. So not only memorize uh, law uh, concerning Scripture that deals with God's plan for sex and what to do, what not to do. Also memorize Scripture that deals with what Christ has has done for you and his sufficiency and his abundance. Number four, uh, listen to this podcast if you need to. Write down the 10 points that I made. You can also find these online, but return to them as often as you need. And number five, spend time in the Word of God, prayer, and in a biblical local church that will hold you accountable on a consistent basis. Find a brother or sister in Christ um, and tell them your struggles, someone you trust, and help them. tell them to hold you accountable. Meet with them often and pray together and lean on others. You don't have to go this alone. And number six, cultivate self-control in your life in other areas. So don't eat what you want all the time. Don't drink what you want. Don't buy what you want. Instead, 
instead cultivate self-control by intentionally resisting things that you want. You know, oftentimes sexual idolatry is not your ultimate problem, but it's a lack of self-control in all areas of your life. So remember that you continually need the blood of Jesus Christ appropriated to your account. So be ever dependent upon Him and Him alone. Friends, I hope that this podcast encourages you to enjoy the Lord, to enjoy the freedom that's found in Him, but also to take ownership of your sin. Because when you take ownership of your sin, you can repent of it. But if you treat yourself like a victim as something that this stuff is happening to you, well, well, victims don't need to repent. And so I want to encourage you to find true freedom, and that's not found in treating yourself like a victim. It's found in treating yourself like a sinner so that you can repent and enjoy the saving grace, the sustaining grace that is found in Christ alone. All Truth is God's Truth is a bi-weekly podcast written and produced by me, Jared Moore. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a five-star review. Also, if you enjoyed the show, you want to encourage me to keep at it, you want to buy me a cup of coffee. You can donate on my website, jaredmoore.exaltchrist.com. You can also find me on social media, on Twitter at Jared H. Moore, or on my website, or on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. Until next time, enjoy God and His grace by taking all truth and connecting it back to its rightful owner. By the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. I'm amazing, I persevered to the end no I'm a-